was, uh, what's her name, Senator Garcia, I talked to a few minutes ago, and we were talking, and I said, I've never voted for a Democrat for President of the United States. And she said, well, when was the, who was the first person you voted for? And I said, it was Abe Lincoln. <laughs> she didn't laugh. <laughs> Uh, 34 years was a long time ago. I was 30 years old. Um, Boone was 50. Right. <laughs> Boone, was, Boone was 50. Yeah. And when, uh, when are you talking about? 82. Yeah, 82. June of 82. Well, in, in 78, I was 50, so I was 54. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and if we were going to replicate it, uh, Boone would be in his bathrobe right now. Uh, <laughs> And he would be uh, slightly hungover, slightly, and he'd have a bunch of granny apples. Granny Smith. Granny Smith that somebody brought to the hotel room every day as they began to plot strategy and as the days got, got more intense. Those Granny Smiths keep you very regular. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I gotta make a, I gotta make a bunch of, uh, um, it says, briefly introduce your panelists with a bit of biographical information, keeping each roughly the same length. <laughs> Boone Pickens is an oil man, legendarily, a rancher, and a, um, a fan of OSU football. No, the whole school. The whole school. Yeah. Okay, yeah. the whole school. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go 60 minutes. We'll have a 20-minute Q&A period unless people really Want to start earlier? Um, silence your phones. If you want to tweet, the hashtag is hashtag TTF, um, et cetera. Um, Joe, I want to, if you notice, we're not, this is not full. I did notice that. And I had half the tickets and you had half the tickets, and I was oversubscribed. And, <laughs> and I had to say, so your 50% is not full. Um, um, Oh, my wife's here, though, so I'm okay. That's good. All right. Don, where are you? Um, so this is a panel about energy and the environment. I can't honestly say we're going to spend the whole hour on energy and the environment. We've got a few other things we want to talk about. Um, but Boone, you've been, um, you're the focus, a lot of the focus of your energy career has been natural gas. Um, and you have a plan or had a plan uh, to use natural gas to make the country, put the country in better shape. And why don't you uh, very quickly give us a feel for, you know, what, what the state of play is with natural gas and, and how important it's been to the country and kind of where we're going to go from here on that. Start, let's start there. Okay. Well, natural gas, of course, is hydrocarbon just like oil is. And, but it's cleaner and hell of a lot cheaper. And the United States has more natural gas than any other country in the world. Iran, Russia, and the whole crowd. We have more natural gas. We've never had a champion. I tried to be the champion. I wasn't big enough or smart enough or clever enough to do it. But I did move the ball. And today, that heavy-duty trucks will, I will predict that within 10 years, all heavy-duty trucks will be on natural gas. Uh, but a game breaker that has shown up. Cummings has come up with an engine 
It's a 9.7 liter engine and it has 90%, hear this, 90% less NOx emissions than any other engine. They will have a 13 liter engine out next year. And this will, is, a, is a game changer we need. The champion may very well be Fred Smith, FedEx. He is going over to natural gas. They, uh, we're gonna dedicate a big station <coughs> in Oklahoma City next month. And Fred Smith, UPS is 100% natural gas on their trucks. So it's all gonna have, BNSF will go to natural gas also. But we've been slower <coughs> accomplishing this than I thought. I thought I was a better salesman than I am. And, oh. I got it. Somebody tried to hide it from me. The, uh, I thought I was a better salesman. I started on this in 1988, and I said it's cleaner, cheaper, and domestic. I said, if anybody can't sell that, I said, they, they gotta be a pretty damn guy. I said, how long do you think it'll take you to penetrate the market? And I said, with that kind of a sales pitch, and, I, and it's true, I can do it within five years. That was 88. This is 2016, that was 28 years ago. So you can see how far off. Okay. Well, one of the, uh, before I get into the environmental arguments, um, uh, what, I mean, obviously the price of natural gas is a lot lower than it was. The, a lot of the fracking uh, has dried up because it's not uh, economical anymore. Um, how is that going to affect, you know, your outlook about um, uh, the, the supply of natural gas and whether it actually can, you know, do the things you, you think it should do? Well, Joe, the fracking dried up because the natural gas is so cheap and oil is so cheap. So you had 1,609 rigs running for oil in November of 14. Today you have 414 rigs. So you have barely 25% of the rigs. Okay, those all, when they drill well, those are all fracked. And on natural gas, eight years ago, you had 1,400 rigs running on natural gas because the country needed it. They found so much natural gas and all. Today you only have 81 rigs running. So they'll all be fracked when, when they go back to work. Those wells will all be fracked when they drill. Uh, so part of the reason that you have not, you and others have not been able to push this forward over those 20 plus years is that uh, the environmentalists um, have made fracking um, the devil. Uh, arguing that it causes uh, earthquakes in Oklahoma, um, that it can despoil water, um, uh, that it has uh, waste uh, that's hard to dispose of, especially on the East Coast, um, and so on. So uh, what do you say to those people who, uh, who really have gained a lot of momentum um, over the last 10 to 15 years? Well, the momentum is all kind of an echo chamber. They talk to each other, but nothing happened. They didn't shut down one thing because there's not one well that has messed up fresh water by fracking. It's 10,000 feet. Fresh water occurs above 1,000 feet, and you're fracking wells down at 8, 9, 10, 12,000 feet. So you have, you know, two miles of rock above you. That no water has been messed up. 
as far as the earthquakes in Oklahoma, the earthquake's been pretty well determined that that is the injection of water into the Arbuckle. The Arbuckle's a formation is just above the basement rock, and the Arbuckle will take water as long as you pump into it. But what started happening is the water went through the Arbuckle into the basement, and then the basement moved. The basement was the cause of the earthquake. So they cut out uh, injecting water into the Arbuckle. So in other words, they fixed that? I think so. Okay. Um, uh, ditto the Keystone Pipeline, which is also, uh, uh, which Obama actually wound up, you know, vetoing or, or negating. Um, but I'm assuming that, again, uh, they think it's very dangerous. Your argument, I'm guessing, would be it's safe or safer than trains. Yes, it is safer than trains, no question. But what you have is 250 billion barrels of oil that is in Canada that's available to the United States. The reason we went to the Mideast in 1975, we moved the Fifth Fleet to, mid, to the Mideast and based it out of Bahrain. That is because we had the uh, Arab embargo in 73 and Congress said forever after, we are going to need oil from the Mideast. We thought so at the time, not so. We have plenty of oil in North America to take care of our needs. And consequently, you don't need a fifth fleet in, in the Persian Gulf unless it's there to protect Israel. But as far as oil, no, not necessary at all. So in other words, so one way to think about this is that um, you cast these issues as national security issues, that if we can be self-sufficient and we actually have the natural gas and maybe enough oil to be a lot closer to self-sufficiency than we were. We don't really need Saudi Arabian oil. We don't really need Mideast uh, mid oil. We don't need OPEC oil. Whereas um, uh, the environmental community, especially on the far left, would argue that uh, we're much better off as a country going to wind and solar and, 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 and cutting us off from fossil fuels. Um, and they don't think much about the national security issue. Mm. I mean. Is it your view that, that they're misguided? I mean, how do you think about that? I mean, do you just think that the national security issues override any other, any potential environmental dangers? And, and this will lead us to a discussion maybe about um, renewables. Well, Joel, you remember that I, I'm not, a, I'm for anything American. And I, our day is an environmental group and they meet in Aspen Colorado, and I've spoken there for five straight years, and I main thing is be realistic, and is, is my pitch. The first time I spoke to them five years ago, they booed me. I'd never been booed before, uh, and I was booed. You've never been booed before? No, hell no, I haven't. <laughs> All right, if you think I have, where was it? Uh, West Amarillo? Uh... Nobody booed me. Nobody booed you? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. I spoke in Amarillo the other night and drew the biggest crowd they'd ever had. <laughs> and that's true for the PPROA convention. But anyway, I, they booed me at our day, but, it, but four years later they gave me the Environmentalist of the Year Award. <laughs> How do you like that? Going from the bottom to the top in four years. But it's, uh, I, listen, I'm for anything American. I, I went out and sold the windmill. Uh, deal. It cost me a lot of money too. And uh, 
but I, I'm for anything American, but you got to be realistic about what you're dealing with. There's 95 million barrels of oil produced in the world every day, in the world. 70% of it goes to transportation fuel. You tell me when I see uh, Bernie and Hillary up there and they're talking about they're going to shut down all fossil fuels. Okay, Monday morning, shut them down. You tell me what you're going to do, you're going to shut down the world. You have to. So then be realistic about what you're going to use. Natural gas is cleaner than diesel is. There's no kidding anybody about that. So if you want to be cleaner, go natural gas. But you are going to use diesel, gasoline, and natural gas. And people get up, pound on their chest, and say, we'll get rid of all the fossil fuels. We'll get out of here. I mean, you're going to have fossil fuels for 50 years. There isn't but two things that will move an 18-wheeler, natural gas or diesel. That's it. Battery won't do it. Fred Smith, FedEx, he tried to go battery and gave up because he just couldn't get a battery that would do the job for him. Am I against batteries? Hell no, that's fine with me. Batteries, uh, anything American, count me in. Uh, tell us a little about your wind deal, as you put it. Um, I mean, that was an effort on your part to get into the renewable, renewable business, and you did spend a lot of money, but describe the effort um, to the audience and uh, what came of it. I mean, I think it'll help people understand renewables and the difficulty of, of doing them, and then we can maybe talk a little bit about Well, the interesting know. part, Joe, if you and I got in the car and drove west out of here, and, you know, I'm starting to wonder where I am. I'm in Austin, aren't I? Yes, yeah. you are. West out of here, or northwest out of here to Sweetwater. Man, we'd come up on those, those turbines up here Sweetwater big time. Well, that, the wind there, it, all the way the quarter to uh, Canada, that is a huge corridor of wind that's better than any place else in the world. It is the best. It's the most consistent. If we hit Sweetwater, headed north, we would be into turbines, not solid, all the way up, all the way to Canada. There will be turbines. And does it work? Of course it works. What got me was that when I got in the wind business, uh, natural gas was $7, and it went up from there to 13 for a minute. Today it's $2.80. So natural gas is the fuel that, that you price off of for uh, power generation, meaning when natural gas is at $6, the wind really works. It's, it's you mean a, it's profitable? Pardon me? You mean it's profitable? The wind is... Wind power is profitable when natural gas is six, yeah, that's right. but, it's not, but it's not when natural gas is Well, three. And then you start subsidizing it. Mm -hmm. But if you want it to sit on its own bottom, it will do that at $6, when will, if natural gas is $6. And that wasn't what happened. Uh, the natural gas price went down. And as long as I'd been in the business, uh, greed, I, I, to go to Austin, Texas and admit I'm greedy is not smart. <laughs> but I, I thought I was going to be able to hedge it higher than I did. And then when it started to fall, I thought, well, the next uptick I get, I'm going to hedge my wind energy on the natural gas price, meaning I could do that. And I just, hell, I didn't do it. I rode the thing all the way to the bottom of the valley. And, uh, and so, consequently, I, I lost $150 million. So. 
You do any, ever do anything in solar? Do I? Anything in solar? Did you ever do? Have you looked at oh, the no, solar? Oh no, not solar. No. Have you looked at the solar? No, I'm not, I'm not big on that solar deal. I mean, it's uh, it's too uh, too much stuff you got to have. Put it on your roof and everything else. But I'm not against it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you like it, well, I'd be for you. <laughs> Um, I, and I also take it, uh, so one of the issues in the campaign is, um, is the decline of the coal business and how angry coal miners are to see their jobs going away and their industry disappearing. And a lot of the reason, not the entire reason, but a lot of the reason is because coal-fired power plants are being replaced um, by natural gas. That's right. And so what would you say to the coal miners? Well, I'm not the one that put them out of business, and I'd be sympathetic to them. I'd say, you know, fellas, you spent your whole career in this business, and all once you get a president that shuts you down. And you guys have all, your union, and you all voted for this president. How you like him now? <laughs> and it's true. I mean, he put, Obama put the coal business out of business. But, 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 but you, okay. you would take the view, though, that, the country and maybe even the world is better served with natural gas replacing coal. It's Would, well, it's cleaner fuel, no question about that. But look at what you're doing there, you're shipping the coal out to China, India, and they're... <laughs> Watch out, something's moving. Somewhere. I know. Okay, but no, I, you know, it... Uh, you can sit here and talk about it, but it's a sad day for the coal business. It, are the emissions unacceptable? If they are, then shut down. But we did have power that would replace uh, coal, and it was cleaner and it was cheaper. So it was going to happen anyway. But also, I'm not against nuclear. I'm not against nuclear. I don't know what uh, any nuclear disaster that uh, you, I can tell you, I'm a geologist, so I, I can talk rocks. And, but anyway, you, you take uh, the Japanese uh, nuclear disaster they had. Don't build a nuclear plant on the water. And do not put it on a known fault system. <laughs> Hell, you move, you move it inland, and it doesn't have any problems. And uh, but don't I mean? And they they're doing some study, several year study. It's government, so you can't do anything in months. It has to be in years. But they're going to come out with a real study. And I said you can flip over to the summary, and it'll say don't build them on. <laughs> Um, how much how much oil do we still um, get from from OPEC? How much do we get? Yeah, you know that's interesting. Great question. Today we have the fifth fleet in the Persian Gulf. There's 17 million barrels a day comes through the Straits of Hormuz. We, the United States, protects that for OPEC, a cartel. And how much of the 17 million barrels? I'm going to let you guess. Do you think we get out of the 17 million barrels a day? Six. 1.2. Practically nothing. 
We don't even need it. The president could have gotten up and said three, four years ago, we don't need any OPEC oil. Today, the United States uses 20 million barrels of oil a day. We produce 8.4. We did produce 9.6. We have come down 1.2 million barrels a day since the rig shut down. Okay, where's the rest of the oil come from? Number one is Canada. And we, we take oil, of course, from Mexico too. But we could go without any OPEC oil at all. We get 1.2 million. Okay, so why do we have the fifth fleet in the Persian Gulf? I don't know. Well, to one. Protect, to protect our ally, Saudi Arabia? Joe. That was supposed to be sarcastic. Come on. It was. You were good on that one. That was good. Sarcastic. Yeah. Coincidence? You think it was a coincidence that the two planes that went into the Twin Towers, out of 21 on there that were the terrorists, 18 of them were from Saudi Arabia? You think that was a coincidence? Hell no, it wasn't. And no, the Saudis are not friends. But we do have the Israelis. They're friends, and we have to protect, protect them over there. But you don't need the Fifth Fleet. This is one that's kind of interesting. Do you know how many uh, aircraft carriers uh, that we have? I don't. Do uh, you? Uh, of course I do. I wouldn't ask the question. I'm not going to ask some question I don't know the answer. Okay, what do you think? I, I, I'm not even going to guess. Okay. Uh, Somebody knows. How many? Eleven. Eleven aircraft carriers. Tell me who uh, has the second most aircraft carriers to us. Russia? Who? China? China is trying to get one to work. <laughs> and Russia is building one. So then you think, are we that much smarter than the rest of the world that we spend our money on 11 aircraft carriers and nobody else has? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. You're either very smart or not very smart to have spent that much money. But know this, that the military guy pulled me off the side when I said, you ought to take the Fifth Fleet out of the Persian Gulf, leave a, a destroyer protection uh, deal that can deal with missiles, uh, and there are such dis destroyers. And, and when I got through making my remarks, he pulled me off the side and he said, let me tell you something. The Navy is a jobs program. And if you have the Navy, it has to be somewhere. So why not have it there? Now, uh, Dick Cheney says, Boone, you don't know what you're talking about. That's Dick Cheney. <laughs> I said, what this time, Dick? And he said, when you talk about pulling the out of the Persian Gulf, we have to be everywhere. The United States does. And he said, you're starting to talk like an isolationist. Well, I, I just think that is a hot spot that we're not having much luck over there on anything, so just go home. Let them fight it out among themselves. And, but Dick doesn't go for that at all. He just says it's too important. 
The United States is a superpower. They have, we haven't been managed like a superpower with this president. I mean, he's had other ideas, and, and military is not high on his list, apparently. But, but uh, you know, but there, listen, something's going to happen in the Pacific. Because China's going over there and building those islands in the South China Sea and calling them sovereign islands. You know, they're uh, structures. And so that's going to have to be dealt with. You know, you're sort of sounding like uh, <laughs> one of the presidential candidates. Well, you know, um, I could have done it. I'm too old. If I, if I, listen, looking at presidents, I, I think I could have done that job. Well, you got to run and win first. What? You got to run and win first. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't. I can talk about. It. I could have done the job, but I never had a chance. <laughs> I didn't run for it. But I, okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was sort of wondering what other. Um, Positions of of one of the presidential candidates. I mean, w would you would you um, would you block trade? Would you uh, put a wall up Mexico? Would you? Uh, I'm talking about Trump. I'm talking Re about Trump. Really? Yeah. <laughs> would I do what Trump said he's going to do? Yeah. Some of the things I would have. Uh, uh, Trump, I agree with him wholeheartedly. <laughs> I don't want an open border. Uh, that's, uh, I've seen that in Europe, and it, it does not work. And so I would stop illegal entry to the United States. But I, most, how many of you would do? Raise your hands. Uh, so we got, some people would want open borders here in this room. I would want open borders. Wonder if I can get their names. <laughs> you want you wouldn't want open borders? Yeah, this is the one position that I agree with the Wall Street Journal editorial page on. That oh well talk about it then. Tell tell us why you why open borders would work for us. Because um, several reasons. One is that the immigrants immigrants have been the foundation of this country. Uh, second of all, um, uh, many, most, many of the immigrants who come here come with a deep ambition to uh, improve their lives uh, and the lives of their children. Um, uh, they take jobs that Americans won't take. Um, and, um, you know, not completely open, but I don't, you know, I don't want to build a wall. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to stop Mexicans from coming here. I don't, you know, I think, uh, I think the country's a better place as a result. Well, let's see if we agree on this. At uh, I don't know that the wall's the way to go, but I don't want open borders. But you, you said uh, Mexicans come here. Do you, uh, you do want, uh, well, I'm starting to tell you what you want. I don't know what you want. But, the, uh, but that, uh, you w would you agree that they, that they're just, you know, they have to be uh, uh, coming in legally and we only let so many people come in? Or are you just kind of anybody wants to come? I, Tell me how they get in here. How do they? How do they do it now? No, how you would do it? What would be your plan? I don't have a. This is this is interesting. I've never been asked this before. Um, 
I would certainly want to regulate it. I would want to make it more legal than not. But honestly, if somebody from Ecuador, you know, made the effort to come in here illegally and go through all that stuff and risk their lives, and they got here, it wouldn't bother me that they were here. I would, I would actually kind of applaud it. But, you know, that's me. And you're the one that people are here to see, not me. <laughs> I'm what? You're the person people are here to talk about, talk, listen to, not me. That isn't true. <laughs> I, I filled up all my seats and you filled all but 10 of your seats. So. No, I, but we agree that it has to be regulated. It, you, I, it does have sure to be regulated. Sure, you do. And, and I, I'll say that Trump, he kind of goes over the top. But you think? <laughs> now, I just say, you are, you are negative. You aren't open-minded like I am. <laughs> I, I have looked at Hillary closely for years. And, uh, and, and I know Donald Trump. Uh, and he's an interesting guy. You have a <laughs> You'll make a better president than you think. Hmm. Oh, we'll just leave that where it is. Okay. Um, well, so we're going to see because he's going to win. I can tell you that. Come on. Hey, come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, I know where I am. Let's talk about. Yeah, exactly. You know, I defended fracking in a debate in Aspen, Colorado. Mm -hmm. I got my butt kicked. Well, you didn't understand the subject. What happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about um, something else. No. Uh, uh, when Boone and I first met, um, I was uh, a young journalist who'd never written about business before. And um, actually, the, uh, a uh, couple of months after I'd been assigned to write a profile of him for Texas Monthly, um, I asked him because he was always having these secret meetings and he, uh, he would have uh, uh, huge boxes of paper uh, uh, and, 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 and I said to him, and I was talking to people on Wall Street and they said, Boone's up to something. And now Boone had never done a hostile takeover before. This, was all, this whole world was new. Uh, 1982, and I, I, and I said to him, uh, so I said, Boone, I, are you going to do a hostile takeover? And he said, Joe, I could tell you that, but, um, you know, it'd be against the law. <laughs> That's how little I knew about business, that uh, I was asking for inside information. Um, anyway, one of the key precepts of uh, Boone's philosophy back then was that, um, you know, shareholders were owners of corporations. Shareholders had rights. Uh, they owned the company. Yep. Uh, that management were too busy building empires, were not um, paying attention to shareholders. But you and as you, as you pointed out in the green room, back then you were called raiders. Yeah. And tell them what Carl Icahn. Yeah, Carl Icahn are old and our old friends. We're both old, that's why we're old friends. <laughs> anyway, Carl and I were talking a month or two ago, and he said, you know, Boone, you didn't hang around long enough uh, as a takeover uh, raider or whatever. He said, now, he said, we have a different, uh, you know, image than we did 
back in the 1980s? Well, of course they do, because <laughs> it helped the shareholders. People buy stock expecting to make money off of it. That's the only reason I know that they buy stock. Is there any other one? Not that I can think of. Okay, so I would come in and we would try to take over, for instance, city service, and that's where Joe and I got acquainted. And then after that became Gulf and uh, Phillips and then Unical. There were four of them. And all their stock prices went up dramatically. And then I was identified as, you remember, one guy said I was a quick buck artist. And I said, who in the hell would want to be known as a slow buck artist? <laughs> if you went in and bought a stock, it was $5 a share, and you expected it to go, it would go to $15 a share over a 10-year period, and it went to $15 a share in a few months, who would you like the best? <laughs> Me, because I was causing the prices to go up. It was real, the assets were worth what the price was being paid for. So there wasn't anything mystery about it, it was just unusual. Nobody had ever seen it before. And they were sure there was dishonesty involved. Yes, there were dishonesty. That's when the insider trade, Ivan Boski, you knew Ivan. I did. Yeah, and, and Ivan went to jail for that. And he should have, and, but uh, it, was, it was during that period in the 80s, but it did a great service for this country. One, it made a lot of money. People made the money, paid taxes, that all helps. But it did give a different uh, view of corporate America. Would you agree with that? I would. Well, here's the other question that I'd ask before. We're going to get to questions uh, from the audience in just a minute. You know, your view of the world, which was a, a very minority view at the time, um, later became supported by academia. Uh, corporate executives used the idea of shareholder value to basically enrich themselves, frankly. Um, uh, a lot of financial engineering took place, um, and now you have people like Bill Ackman and others who call themselves shareholder activists, but are they really? I mean, in your, I mean, how has it worked out? I mean, do you think capitalism is better, or, or Wall Street is better, or do you think there's been some unintended consequences? I, I think all of that. I think, yes, uh, Wall Street is better. I think corporate America is better, and there were unintended consequences also. You get it all. You're, it isn't going to be perfect. And you remember what Fred Hartley said uh, when one of his directors, Fred Hartley was a CEO of Unical, dead now, a long time ago. He, one of his directors, uh, Bill Doheny, who was a large stockholder and a director of the company. Bill Doheny's dead too. But Bill told me this, and you remember what it was. He said, Fred, why don't we increase the dividend? Well, sure, shareholders want to increase the dividend. And Bill Doheny said, Fred said to me, and he said, it really hurt my feelings in a director's meeting because it made me look stupid. He said, he looked at me and he said, Bill, why in the hell would we give a bunch of people money that we don't even know? <laughs> you remember that? And that, I think, was the attitude of a lot of CEOs of companies back then. 
Uh, on that note, uh, we'd love to take uh, questions. Uh, if it's okay, I'll throw out one. Yeah. So uh, for T Boone, the uh, we were talking about natural gas earlier, and um, and so I was thinking a couple of years ago about investing in this company Sassel, and I was reading up on where they were liquefying natural gas and converting it into diesel, and I think that tell, would tell who Sassel is. Uh, well, they're uh, based out of uh, South Africa. It was where they had the, the first uh, refinery that was liquefying natural gas and converting it into diesel. And they were, they announced a couple of years ago, before the bottom fell out of the market, uh, that they were going to build a refinery in Louisiana to, to do this. And I was just wondering if you had any, any insight into that. We're not, we're not stock picking here. We're what? We're not oh, stock no, picking. Not, not stock picking, but the yeah. technology of converting natural gas into diesel, is that real? Sure it is. Sure it is, and Sassol was good at it. South Africa doesn't have oil and gas reserves. If they do, it's not very much. So they had to come up with some ideas as to how they were going to solve their energy problem for South Africa, and Sassol it went a long way to doing that and and all. But uh, taking natural gas to diesel, why take it to diesel? You're going from something better to something worse. So. It, and so it was unsuccessful, Sassel was. Yes, sir. Well, Mr. Pickens, uh, your prediction of the price of oil and the price of natural gas this time next year and this time three years from now. <laughs> sure, I'll be glad to. Know that I've been wrong. Uh, last year I was wrong, and uh, I'm pretty close to being wrong again. I said that oil by the end of the year would be $60. I've kind of backtracked a little bit. And the last time I was asked a question, I said 55 to 60. I'm, uh, but you still have time. I can see the end of the year now, and I've only got three, a little over three months left. And uh, but we could get to that point. And it was all my estimates were based on supply and demand. They were not gut estimates, but I thought that that oil in the United States would have declined below, we're now 8.4 million barrels a day. I thought we would be under eight. We're not. Uh, the production we had in West Texas held up better than I thought it would. I thought it would decline faster. But I still, 55, 60 by the end of the year, and what, was it three years later you want to know? Three. Yeah, I, we've, Three years is a long time for me. I'm 88, so I, I can just about make any kind of prediction. <laughs> nobody, nobody can beat me up for it. But I, I'd say in three years, you'll be 70, $75 a barrel. You have to because the rigs are not running any place in the world. So, and if you're 95 million barrels a day, that declines. I'm being more than generous to give you a decline curve of 3%. I think it's probably more than 3 but 3%. You've got to find 3 million barrels a day and put it back in there for supply, and it's, it's hard to do. It's not easy to do. If you don't have any rigs running, you can't do it. So just, but it's five times since 1980, oil prices have fallen in more than half. Five times they have, and four times the Saudis have assumed the role of swing producer. And what does that mean? They cut supply to keep the price, stabilize the price. 
the price fell in half, but in all, all five cases, they recovered from the low point. This time it was 26, 19, I think we got it in January. We have gone back to $52, then we fell off again to 42, and we're headed back to 52. So all of those cases are, are similar, with the exception of the last one. And the United States became the swing producer on the last one because the Saudis wanted us to be, because they didn't like the fact that we were developing a lot of uh, shale oil. And so they said, we are going to remain at a level above 10 million barrels a day. And they actually did more than that. Today they're producing 10.7, and I think this will happen, it may happen next week. But the Saudis have offered the Iranians a deal that they will cut 500,000 barrels a day. <clears throat> this was last Thursday. And if the Iranians will cap at 3.7 is what they have. And if the Saudis will cut a million barrels a day from 10.7 <coughs> to 9.7, I think this, the Iranians will do it. And if the Iranians do it, it's because the Russians have put a lot of pressure on so I hope I answered your question. It was a little bit like what time is it, and I told you how to make a watch. <laughs> Did you have a question, sir? Yeah. Uh, <coughs> welcome, welcome back to UT, Mr. Pickens. I always enjoy hearing you carry on. Um, carry on, did you say? Uh, yeah, carry on. <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer speak if you know. <laughs> With all due respect, isn't it time that Vietnam War hero and now current Secretary of State John Kerry get an apology from you for the lies that you and your swift voting friends spread. And what, wait a second. Let me finish. Are, are you apologizing for John Kerry? No, sir. I'm asking, oh, okay. I'm asking okay. you at this late date in your career, this is a dated story, that yeah, maybe it's... Ask, 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 let, yeah. let me ask the question, Mr. Pickens. Jay. Let me ask the question, Mr. Pickens. Just okay. Ask, we we oh. know what the question is. We know what, what the question is. What is it? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Don't you think you owe John Kerry an apology, sir? Do I owe John Kerry an apology? That's the question, sir. I think he owes me an apology for the deal he made with the Iranians on a nuclear deal. Regarding, regarding swift voting. Wait, sir. whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, you asked the question. Let him answer it. Sure. The question is about do you owe John Kerry an apology for swift voting him? Thank you. No, I, I did not want John. Wait a minute. Okay, I have a question before I no, answer. No. Just a, I mean, yes, do, do you do you think that anything I did in Swift Boat was dishonest? Uh, respectfully, yes, sir. What was it? Well, you can do it at the daily costs. I made sure to do a little research before putting this question to you. Um, I think much of the accusations made in the ad by the Swift voters were proven by reasonable examination to be not be true, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, you can make a million dollars. The offer is still open. Okay, I said at American Spectator dinner that if anybody can show any of the nine ads to be dishonest in any way, I'll give you a million dollars. Right. And you say that they, they, they did not you, do that, sir? Pardon me? I don't want to take up everybody's time, but didn't they do that? They did do that, sir. Those did statements what? were not true, sir. What do you say? Okay. The statements I'm, weren't true. Okay. I can wrap it. I'm going to wrap that, this portion up. Um, 
both sides got to say what they wanted to say, uh, and we'll go here. Okay, well, here's a question about energy in transport. <laughs> so. Jones Act, uh, if, first of all, if we were, are you, are you okay with Jones Act? Are you against Jones Act? And if we got rid of the Jones Act, which for those of you that don't know, that has to do with transporting. Well, the Jones Act yes. uh, is, Thank you. is Explain it. what <laughs> uh, caused us not to export oil. Is that right? Yes. I mean, well, actually, it's a question. It, do I want? Than, it's I, more than a hundred years old. It's the act that it's says, out of date, and and I'm ready to export oil. Okay. Well, but we still import oil. Well, this is also has to do though with uh, the fact that you can't. <laughs> we have to pay higher prices to transport our anything, any kind of product from one American port to another one because it has to be on a U.S. flagged ship. So, they, you know, I, I, I'm not your flat U.S. flagships. <clears throat> is not ships are not my case. But the Jones Act and and uh, that I, if you want to export oil, it's fine with me. But two, we are exporting every day out of the United States four million barrels of product. So we're bringing in uh, oil from out of the United States, put it through our refineries and exporting four million barrels a day. So that market is pretty fluid. Okay. Yes, sir. I may be wrong, but I thought a few years ago you had a project where you wanted to move water from the Amarillo area to the Dallas area. Is that, am I remembering that at all right? Was that your project? Water from Amarillo to Dallas. What, what I was trying to do is move water from Roberts County, which is 90 miles northeast of Amarillo. And I was going to move it in the same right-of-way as uh, wind turbines. And I, I was unsuccessful in, in being able to do that. And I'm glad I was unsuccessful. And I'll tell you why. Because the Panhill was in a drought, went into a drought, uh, we came out of it in May of 2014, and but they needed the water there. Lake Meredith, which falls 90, 90 uh, feet, that it went clear down to a mud hole. It's now back up to 60 feet, but Lubbock and Amarillo and 12 other towns desperately needed that water. And thank God I sold it to the Canadian River Municipal Water Authority instead of to the Metroplex. It would have it would have been a it, it would have been very close to the same thing that happened to the Yawkey family in Boston when they sold uh, Babe Ruth to, to the, the Yankees. The Yankees, the Yankees? for a hundred thousand dollars. Five generations later, and I saw the Yawkey said, "How long do we have to pay for something happened five generations ago?" <laughs> and but that's what would have what would have happened to me in the Panhandle, if I'd have moved that water out of there, it would have, it would have, my legacy I would not have liked. You probably would have gotten booed a little yeah. more. Gotten booed? Yeah, a little more. I'd have gotten more than booed. And that, when I sold it to them up there, they had a big, uh, this came up uh, yesterday, and uh, with Senator Duncan, who's now Chancellor of the Texas Tech uh, system, and he came to see me, and he, he was on the other side of what I was trying to do. And, uh, but we 
I mean, you can be have different opinions and, and remain friends or friendly. And, and Duncan and I are friends and all, and I said, you know, uh, Robert, I'm so glad that you, uh, you did step up and put a stop to us moving that water because I said it had been a bad deal if we had because the water is needed up here. He's from Lubbock and was state senator from, from that area, and it, but he, he really did uh, stop it. But we, uh, I said I'll never forget, we had that closing for it was at Plainview because the chairman of the Canadian Municipal Water Authority was a guy named Miller and he was in Plainview and so that's where the closing was. Cameras, TV, it was a big deal. I mean, we there's a lot of water, 200,000 acre feet of water. And so uh, we, uh, we were there and the crowd was, you know, not booze, you know, hey, yeah, boom, 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 you know, hey, hey, hey. good. I said, I, I want, I said, do you remember this, uh, uh, Bob? And he said, no, I wasn't there. He said, I couldn't be there because of some vote in Austin. And I said, well, let me tell you, it got to that point. I said, well, stop all of this. You need to understand this is not a gift from me to the Canadian. You all are paying me for it. <laughs> and then they went back and cheered again. But I wanted, I had made some very large gifts. And I thought, good Lord, these people are thinking I'm giving them this water. May I follow up just real quick? What do you think about the Texas rule of right to capture going forward in terms of regarding water? Well, if it's it, on your property, you can drain the aquifer? If it's I, on your property, you can drain the aquifer. Texas right of, Texas right of what? Texas right of pay. That I can, uh, yeah, it's my water. So I, yeah, I can drain, but I have a permit on my ranch uh, which is in Roberts County. It's 10 miles north of the water field that Canadian River Municipal Water Authority is developing, and they need this water desperately. I have a permit for 44,000 acre feet of water a year. I use about 10,000 acre feet, but uh, that's, but yes, I, I have the right to, to produce water. Yes, sir. So I have a uh, transportation question. Um, Chenier's exporting from the Texas, Louisiana Gulf Coast. What do you think our chances are? What's, what's a better option? You know, the expanded canal in Panama to export to Asia, or do we have a better chance of regasification facilities developing in Europe and actually developing the infrastructure to transport natural gas into Eastern Europe? What's, what's the better chance of, of those two happening? Well, I hope that uh, demand increases in the United States so that the water that, oh, excuse me, the cheap natural gas is used here instead of there. But you aren't going to, you're not going to export uh, enough gas to Europe to in any way impact the market. So all the existing, uh, you know, there's a lot of pending uh, LNG export facilities that are kind of in the works right now. Are they just going to stop that development? You know, is no, it just going to be just Chenier that, export. that exports? Or? Well, Chenier at Lake Charles, uh, they're exporting a billion cubic feet of gas a day that's LNG, and they're going to put on a second train, I think, just in the next few months. So they're going to be, uh, there's LNG being developed several spots, but I almost think it's 12 locations 
that are going to export LNG out of the country. Okay, and and it's we really won't be able to compete with Australia's shale gas development and export. Why? because they're so much closer to Asia, that's an easier transport. Okay, right? we, we won't be? be able to compete with them. Okay, I, th I thought maybe their gas was gonna be cheaper to ours. No, 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 shorter yeah. trip, easier trip. Okay, it, it, no, I mean, it'll all, transportation will be a big factor. It, we could go in the same markets as, as uh, gas from Australia. We would just have to sell it at a price. We wouldn't make as so much off of it as they would. Right, thanks, sir. Last question. Thank you. Make it a good one. Oh, well, I'll give it a shot. So I'm prefacing my question um, with saying that the UN emissions gap report um, shows an 8 billion ton emissions gap that needs to be closed by 2020 to shift the trajectory of emissions from moving towards 3 degrees to the, to the internationally accept, accepted maximum of 2 degrees. And so from, from my view, um, that creates a great deal of urgency, and that gap is not addressed by any policy that exists currently, including COP21. And so my question is, A, do you, um, wh where do you view the importance of that urgency? Now and we're, talk we're talking about climate change. Climate yeah. change, yes. Okay. Yeah, and emissions levels. Yeah. Um, and then second, if you knew of a citizen's action initiative that was out to close that gap by 2020. Would you be interested? And if so, can I have your contact information? <laughs> well, tell me, tell me what the solution is. Well, first of all, it's not the solution. But individual, well, so the research we've done with some folks from the UN and some uh, national experts on carbon shows that through individual action, we can come very close to closing that gap uh, through a variety of individual actions. In aggregate, calculated, um, uh, addressed, gamified. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus on blaming various political groups, blaming industries, but there's not a whole lot of focus on what individuals can actually do, not write a letter to the congressman, but actually take action on right now. Like you're talking individual like you, I and, am you and me. Yes, I am. Okay, so we're going to reduce our carbon footprint, and we're going to save it that way yes yes exactly okay uh, but but in aggregate measured in a game well you gotta have a lot of people not just you and me 500 million what 500 million is the number okay that you would have to have to close the gap my point though is that um given that no no other policy i mean really nothing in place is going to address that eight billion ton gap and, and it's only getting wider um, a, are you interested in supporting that kind of a project? And B, um, where else do you see we need to bring urgency uh, and move faster on climate change? Well, Through our emissions I'm not reduction. a son of a gun about climate change. I'm a geologist. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and how old do you think the Earth is? Oh, it's billions and billions, hundreds of billions of years old. Okay. And you can go back to, you know, rock layers. It's 300 in, billion. And you know that we've had millions of years where the atmosphere is all CO2. So I'm not saying that's what you're going to go back to. But I don't, <clears throat> you, you've got a, when you talk about 500 million people, I think that's what you said, right? I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is, and would I be for that? 
you know, I don't know that I'd be against it that uh, if we all reduced our carbon footprint by so much that it would fix everything in the atmosphere. No, uh, it would only, sh it wouldn't fix everything. It would only shift, that, make that initial shift. It wouldn't you? solve everything. Okay. No. <clears throat> but if that is a solution, uh, I'd spend an evening uh, reading how this is going to be accomplished. Okay. I'm not sure I'd spend much time the next day, but I might. Okay. I mean, it's according to what I found. Great. Okay. And on that note, thank you, Boone. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe.